0: DJ, your gun. We'll let you walk, and we'll be on our merry way. Down. Now. It's him. Finishing what he started. Hey, hey, stop. It's gonna go too far. all
1: that's left welcome everyone to dead talk live i'm your host viz from walking dead now and it is my very Big honor to introduce our special guest tonight, Matt Magum, who we all know as DJ from The Walking Dead, savior-turned-Alexandrian. Matt, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. How are you doing tonight?
0: I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. What's up, everyone?
1: Everyone, is uh, a lot of hearts coming in. We're all lucky and happy to have you here with us. So let's just go Thank ahead you. and get started. I mean, your hey, introduction onto the show was in the mid season eight finale that's the infamous episode where carl got bit the saviors got loose from the sanctuary to say it was monumental and chaotic would be an understatement what was your experience like having that be your first episode on the show
0: oh man that was that night was a ton of fun um you know and my, uh, I did a total of 16 episodes on the walking dead. And that was the only episode that I had an overnight shoot. So I don't know how I lucked out with that, but, uh, that was my only one. So whenever I have overnights, man, it takes me like three days to prepare for those. Like I got to start staying up late and I, like, it's getting close to my bedtime right now. It's <laughs> like You got me out late. So it takes me a couple days to prep for those overnight shoots. Um, you know, a lot people may not know. Uh, you show up for work at six PM, and that you're there until seven AM when the sun rises. Wow! But, uh, dude, that was a that was a, a great night. Um, I remember I hopped in the van at base camp uh, with Andy uh, Andrew Lincoln. Mm-hmm. As everybody knows who that mm-hmm. is, and I just started talking with Andy right off the bat, and, and he was overly excited and happy for me that i booked the part and to be there um i mean i had no idea what dj was going to turn into at that moment but uh that just that's just a testament in itself to who andrew lincoln is um and then we get to set and you get to watch everything blow up i mean (laughs) what kind of night is that you get to see you know the church in alexandria blow up we blew up a couple cars and and those were that was real pyrotechnics. That wasn't uh, CG stuff. So, yeah, that was a fun night.
1: What was it like? I know Michael Satrazimus directed that episode. What yeah. was it like having him be your first director on The Walking Dead?
0: Oh, dude, Satrazimus is great. Um, I think I ended up I ended up doing I I know two episodes with him, maybe three. Um, but you, I had met Satrazimus before before that. Like we'd crossed paths um in the atlanta film community i mean it's a big community here but mm-hmm. the atlanta people is kind of a it's a it's a group where people know each other so i had cross paths with Setra before um and uh, yeah it was great it was it was uh, i love cetras james he's one of my favorite directors he uh, does a lot with fear now too
1: oh yeah yeah he's an executive producer yeah. on fear now so you were on the set uh with Andy's last... Well, you were on the show still. Let me yeah. not jump ahead of myself. During Andy's last episode, uh, what was the atmosphere like if you were on set, you know, during those eight days when they were filming that episode? What was yeah. the atmosphere like around the set, around the cast members, and so on?
0: Um, I, I, I was not, wasn't in Andy's last episode. I was in the episode right before it and right after it. So... Um, I mean, obviously, everybody knew what was coming. I think it uh, it it leaked that he was leaving right before we shot that episode, um, and uh, I mean, the feeling around the set was. Uh, you know, like everybody when they heard it, what's the show going to be like without Andrew Lincoln? I mean, I mean, Norman's great, Jeffrey's great, uh, Deny's great, but I mean, you think of The Walking Dead, you think of Andrew Lincoln, exactly. Um, and so I think everybody was just kind of in that mode of wondering what it was going to be like. Uh, but luckily, you know, we have great writers, and Angela's an incredible showrunner, and I. You know, as a fan of the show, I, I've been watching the show from day one. Awesome. So as a fan of the show, um, I was very excited to to see that first episode, 906, after Andy left and um, thought it was a killer episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, they hook you, right, at the end of 905 when Do-do. the group runs into uh, Judith in the woods and you don't know who she is and you find out. Like, I remember reading that in the script and just being like, oh, that's <laughs> so good. Um so it, I mean you know everybody was wasn't sure what to expect but um you know I've said this uh, before like the walking dead is kind of a well oiled machine mm-hmm. and a, a lot of that is because of of Andy and what he's done and and so it kind of uh just kept running you know
1: I totally understand now I'm I'm sure they threw Andy a big going away party uh did you attend that what was that bash like you know the going away. yeah I don't,
0: I don't know i do not i wasn't uh usually that kind of stuff happens during lunch like when you're on uh, lunch uh birthdays are celebrated cakes are rolled in um so i wasn't there for i didn't shoot that episode so i don't know what it was like so that that sucks oh that uh, does
1: suck man yeah oh man um,
0: but uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, I I think everyone had confidence in the show and in Angela and in the writers and in the group that was there for season nine. Yeah. But still, there's just that unknown of of who doesn't want to walk watch The Walking Dead if if Rick Grimes is there. I mean, I remember before I was cast on the show when I was watching it, and there were a couple times in the show where you were like, Are they gonna are they gonna kill Rick off? And I remember telling my wife, "Dude, if they kill Rick Grimes off, I am not watching this show." anymore. <laughs> like, I was a Rick Grimes.
1: Me too. I'm a, a huge Rick Grimes, Grimes fan.
0: And so, uh, I, I, for me, as a fan before being on it, that was like the deal breaker for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think I think they've done such a good job with. The character development um, of everyone else. And I think guys like Norman and Jeffrey and, and girls like Denai and Melissa and, and now Lauren coming back have all done such a good job of, of picking up um, the weight of the show and, and running with it. Yeah, yeah. To, keep, to keep it going.
1: I totally agree. Now, you mentioned Angela Kang. When you came on in season eight, it was Scott Gimple that was still the showrunner. Yes. So you've got to work with Scott Gimple as well as Angela Kang both great showrunners. Yep. What would you say is the biggest difference on how they run the show between those two?
0: Um, I, I mean, I can only speak from an acting aspect. Of course, I'm sure the writer's room and all that stuff is, is different in the way they run it from an actor's perspective. Um, you know, we had a little bit more freedom under Angela. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott runs, ran a, a pretty tight ship. Um, as far as dialogue, even down to the uh, to the every word. Um, So there was a little bit more freedom under Angela to uh, not so much ad lib, but not necessarily be on every single word as written. Um, And I'm I'm sure guys like Norman and and Jeffrey and those guys could probably speak to a lot bigger differences than I could. But for me, that was the biggest like, it seemed like you had a little bit more freedom under an actor as, uh, with Angela, which isn't to say that oh, no. yeah. a tight ship under Scott is a bad thing. No. It's just for actors. It's just different. Like actors like me, I as an actor like the freedom to play um, with the dialogue or with what I feel like the character is or wants in the scene. And sometimes as an actor, you're on the show where that's a tighter ship. And sometimes you have that freedom. So it's, it's not a good or a bad thing. It's just uh, the difference of leadership.
1: Exactly. I totally understand. Now, you said you were a fan of the show before you got the role. Uh, of course, you were on the show. Uh, did you continue watching after your time on the show ended?
0: Yep. I watch it every Sunday night at 9 o'clock. Uh, so
1: what, what do you think of how Angela, I, just, she, I think she did an amazing job. How do you think Angela handled the Whisperer arc?
0: uh i thought it was great um you know from my what i've heard fans talk about the show i think that they felt like the savior arc was probably too long yeah um and so i think that the i think it was good for the Whisper arc to be what it is mm-hmm. what it was um yeah i think they did it great uh there was uh, um yeah
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah, it really sums it up. It was it was yeah. fantastic. And I, like you, when Rick died, I was like, wow, how are they going to keep this going? And that's where you see Angela really step up to the plate. And yeah, Rick is not forgotten. He's still there. He's still on our minds, but the show is still very good. This past season, I would rank it as one of the highest the best seasons of the walking dead. Now in the start of season nine, primarily the first four episodes, we saw DJ trying to integrate, uh, in the new way of life under Rick's rule for lack of a better term. Right. Um, but you were not taking everything they were, he was throwing your way or what they were throwing your way. In fact, Elizabeth, uh, Ludlow, a had to yep. step in several times and stop you say we don't want to do this <laughs> what do you think bothered the saviors that were trying to integ- integrate the most about their treatment from rick and the gang what bothered them the most
0: um well i think i think the saviors were really the surviving ones were really all about integrating and I think when what changed their minds is when I think maybe it was 90, 902 or nine oh three, when saviors started disappearing and dying. Yeah, and so uh, that right there was the key to them that hey, we're doing everything we can to integrate with your people, but something's not right. Like some one of your people is picking us off, and at that point, as much as they wanted to, wanted to integrate, they just didn't feel safe. Yeah, and so I think. Not that DJ uh, was against Rick, but he was in that group with Jed where they, they just didn't feel safe and they felt like they deserved to be able to protect themselves. Um, you know, they didn't have any weapons, all the weapons were taken away from them. Yeah. And so any little uprising that happened was purely for uh, survival, which is what the entire shows about from mm-hmm. beginning to end is being able to survive. And so those guys wanted simply to survive and were trying to convince Rick and the group to let them do it. And once they didn't hear them, uh, ask nicely, they began to try and take things in their own hands simply to survive. Not that they were against Rick and and Carol and the group and everyone else; they were just trying to survive.
1: I totally get that. Now we didn't get to see this on the screen because of that big time jump after Rick's uh, disappearance off the show, but mm-hmm. we did see DJ uh, change. Uh, we saw you start. We we saw DJ become a very faithful companion and advisor. Mm-hmm. Uh, to Michonne, in your opinion, what happened in those six years that we did not see that made DJ, uh, become not only trusted, but really so close to Deny Michonne's, you know, uh, Deny's character, Michonne?
0: Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Uh, part of me has wondered that. I mean, you know, as an actor, that's kind of, um, things we have to make up to, uh, to connect the dots on that. And I remember, um, right before we shot that episode, Denai and I were talking and and she kind of asked that question, like, why, why do you think he, what, what, what happened? And I, I was like, I don't know. Like, um, you know, I think it, it's, I mean, think about what we've seen of the apocalypse, the, um, the dangers that different groups have been in, whether they're out scouting for supplies or, Or whatever it is, these groups have been in so many precarious situations. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for all I know, you know, DJ could have been the last man picked on a supply run somewhere and just so happened to save Denai's life or save someone else's life or or step in or, or even put himself in a precarious situation to save someone else, which ultimately, was his undoing so maybe there were more situations like that where he stepped in Um, but I mean just like in any aspect of life it's just building trust with people so you know who who knows how many of those situations they were in where DJ built people's trust or who knows just in everyday life Mm -hmm. just within Alexandria uh, trust was built Um, but yeah I, I, I like the idea of maybe DJ volunteering for some for some supply runs with uh, Aaron or, or whoever, and and you know, or, or with Michelle, and being out there, and then being in a dangerous situation where, where he showed, hey, I'm here, I'm here for good. I'm here, you know, to survive with you guys and to protect you guys. And
1: I've got so I box. think it was
0: probably something right. I think it's something along those lines, and over a long period of time, where where that trust was built.
1: Now, as an actor, uh, how important? Uh, I I assume it is important when they do uh, something similar like that big time jump and your character Mm -hmm. goes from one uh, way to another, a big dramatic change. As an actor, how important is it for you to get feedback from the production team? Or like we've heard a lot on The Walking Dead, they leave it up to the actors themselves to sort of fill in the gaps. Which method do you prefer? Do you prefer direct guidance from the writer's room? Or do you like to fill in the gaps for yourself?
0: Um, as far as, uh, any kind of like a backstory or something like that, I, I enjoy tidbits from the writer's room. Like I like if they have any ideas, uh, them giving it to me, but ultimately I kind of like to develop that on my own. Okay. Um, and as far, uh, yeah. And I was trying to think of another way to something else to add on to that. Um, Ultimately I like adding that stuff on my own.
1: Um,
0: I mean, we are acting and playing a different character is such a creative thing anyway. Um, and you know, we pull from our own experiences as actors, but we also try to pull from this character's experience. Like we want to create these experiences that our character may have had, that we may have not had in our own life. And so that's part of what I love about acting so much is getting into the mindset of someone that's not me and yeah. being able to to kind of portray that. And so I, I like guidance. I like some ideas from the writers or, or the director. But ultimately, I think I kind of like coming up with that on my own. I think that's part of the fun of, of the job.
1: That's awesome. Now, let's go to that infamous uh, Kingdom Fair massacre where B.J. Met his end uh not only you a lot of characters met there and uh we don't get to see that barn scene where the slaughter happens except through some various flashbacks as the episodes progressed uh Mm. that whole sequence uh with the flashbacks and all that how long did that whole sequence take to film
0: are you talking about the season 10 flashback where we actually see uh dj about to lose his head or are you talking about the, the the actual barn stuff
1: the well well season 10 with dante uh played by Juan okay, javier yeah. and uh the ptsd yeah. that Siddique is going through
0: um are the little barn scene that we did that you end up seeing it was i mean you know you know i'm sure a lot of people know filming is ridiculous like a two minute scene can be an eight hour night mm-hmm. um that was uh that season 10 barn scene with juan was i don't remember that was a decent night five or six hours um that was actually the last day of filming of that episode which michael cutlets directed mm-hmm. um and so usually on the last day of episodes you're doing all kinds of just pickup stuff and and last minute scenes or things that you got rained out or whatever so that was that was kind of a last day of shooting um and, and honestly, man, Avi Nash just absolutely was unbelievable that night. I mean, that guy was in such a place to be able to – to because we did all of his coverage and his close-ups and shots first with Dante right behind him. And, and I just remember Avi being in this place for hours of of uh, coming up with that scene. And, and he just did such an incredible job. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was that was a good six or seven hour shoot. And it, there was a lot more to it, which is the the downside of TV is that time crunch. So mm-hmm. there was a lot more of the Whisperers kind of dragging DJ in and throwing him down on the ground um, right before you see Alpha behind uh, him. I would have loved but, to uh, see that. Yeah, it was it was great, man. I was, uh, you know, Cutlet said that it was going to be super quick cuts. Um, and real fast through, uh, um, Sadiq's flashbacks, but I was hoping that that, that one would get a little bit more coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, a it was a good long night. And, um, and yeah, a lot of it ended up cut, which sucks, but you know, that's, that's how it goes.
1: <laughs> so Juan, uh, Javier Cardenas, uh, yep. He came in in season ten. Your last episode was season nine. So while you were there uh, in, in 2009, you actually got to meet and do scenes with Juan Javier. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay, I did not it's know that. That's
0: crazy. Yeah, yeah. So we actually, yeah, the whole the whole scene of um, Dante holding Sadiq and making him watch. I mean, we shot all of that on the flashback where you actually see DJ about to get decapitated and mm-hmm. you see it right up to alpha bringing the sword down on his, uh, on his neck. So yeah, I got to spent the, spent the night with, with Samantha and, and Avi and Juan and yeah, get to work that little scene out. Which so, a lot
1: sounds like a lot of fun that night. Now we saw, I've seen a lot of picture pictures of you having a lot of fun with your little dummy, uh, severed head, uh was that just a way for you guys to keep things light on the set on such a dark scene that you guys were filming
0: uh yeah i mean i think i don't know if it was anybody's intentions to keep it light but i mean how often do you get to um hold a severed head of of (laughs) yourself so i think everybody had a little fun i mean i think if you go to all all 10 casts that were decapitated that night you'll find a picture somewhere of them doing something with the head. I mean, it was just such a, a, a bizarre thing to to see. And, you know, Nicotero and his guys did such an amazing job of making those things look just like us.
1: Did they um, actually do a cast of your head for that?
0: Yes, they did. Wow. So we, we all, I mean, we all found out about it about three weeks ahead of time, uh, which is about two episodes before we actually shot it because we had to, you had to go in, we had to do the, everybody had to do the head casting and which you know, they just pour the slime over your head, which gets really hard. And then they cut an incision up the back Mm -hmm. and pop your little mask off. And uh, so we had to do that and then do a lot of special effects, photos and things. So, but you know, when you actually get up there to, to shoot some stuff and they break the head out of the box and you get to see yourself, I mean, it's a pretty wild, experience so I yeah i imagine. think enjoyed getting a couple shots with that
1: now let me ask you a question when you saw the finished product on the screen did it freak you out
0: um you know it didn't i ha- I have this weird ability to separate from myself when i see me on screen um i mean like i said i've been walk watching the walking dead since day one mm-hmm. so to be watching, to be a fan of the show and watching it and then all of a sudden start to see myself on it, there's this weird like break from reality where I kind of don't even process I'm watching myself. I can't, it's hard to explain unless maybe you've been in that situation or somebody's in that situation where you see a video of yourself and it's hard to think that that's you
1: yeah after every night when i do my show and i have to do my post-production i don't like looking at myself it's like it's a weird thing (laughs)
0: i'm a a bit like that like when i'm acting and we're shooting it i don't like to go watch playback on the monitors like a lot of directors will play the scene back and a lot of the actors will go watch the playback on the screen to see what you just shot i don't like that Mm -hmm. i try to stay away from that i think i uh, judge myself too much, or I may make acting corrections based on what I see that that aren't the corrections that I should make. I mean, I can shoot a scene as an actor and I hate it. And the director's like, no, we love it. That's exactly what we wanted. We got it. And so I try to stay away from that. And so when I see the final product, I know that the director has chosen the best take, or what they deem is the best take, or at least that the actor gave the director what they wanted, which is our ultimate job: mm-hmm. is to give the director what they want. And so I, I I don't judge the final product. I have this weird, you know, separation from it. Um, no, but it, it was weird seeing the head and, and holding and playing with the head. <laughs> but uh, you know, when you see the final product, it's usually it's usually pretty good like it's not too weird
1: okay that's good to hear and that thing (laughs) the way you do it and watching it it sounds like a big asset that you that you have as an actor to be able to do that now you grew up in the Atlanta area and being a fan of the show since 2010 how many times prior to landing DJ did you even audition for any other roles before that
0: um yeah i had um you know it was funny about season three or four i thought to myself why haven't i ever auditioned for this show uh and you know i i get a lot of auditions and a lot of times i shoot stuff and and send it off and i most of the time i can't even tell you what i've auditioned for (laughs) um and then i started thinking about it and i was like you know what i think i i think i auditioned for the pilot and so I try to save a lot of my audition so I can just, you know, as an actor, you see how you grow and change. And, and I went back and I actually had read for a soldier in the pilot of Walking Dead, which was a little wild to think about. But then I went years without reading for it. Um, season six, I started reading for I think I read for two or three roles in season six. Uh, I read for about two or three roles in season seven. And at that point as an actor, like when the same show keeps calling you back, you realize that they actually, they like you, they like what you're doing. And so they're just kind of trying to find a place to fit you in. Gotcha. So I felt like that with the walking dead. Um, and I've, I've said this before, man, I was super clean cut. I mean, like no beard, super short, clean cut hair. And, and my manager at the time was like, why don't you just quit cutting? Don't cut your hair and don't shave. And let's just see what happens. And so I did that. So beginning of season seven, I read. And I think for almost over a year, I just grew my hair and beard out. Um, and I read again at the beginning of season eight for what ultimately was DJ. Uh, but I got a call like three months later from my agent and said, hey, are you available? Uh, show wants you to see if you're available to shoot for them. And I was like, I haven't, I haven't had no." an audition in a couple of weeks. Like, I have no idea what this is. So yeah, I'm available. What is it? And she said, Oh, it's The Walking Dead. And I was Ooh. like, Oh, yeah, I'm available. <laughs> she said, Yeah, they're going off of your audition that you did like four months ago. So I had like a year and an additional four months of just growth. And so I just I mean, I, I tell her people I looked homeless. Um,
1: but that's what they're going for
0: yeah and that's what i ended up getting uh that's when i ended up getting dj and so that's why that first sight of dj just got the long hair and the big beard and and you know i kind of was working on that specifically for the walking dead because i felt like they were trying to fit me in somewhere so i tried to meet them halfway for lack of better terms
1: well it worked out and we're all happy that it did now we lost a lot of characters during that massacre Mm -hmm. Uh, First of all, what kind of a going away dinner did they give yourself, Alana, Caitlin, and all the others that were lost that day? Did they throw a dinner for you, what they call the death dinner, uh, yeah. for you guys, or what? What was that like? You,
0: you know what's funny? I can't even remember what we had for dinner that night. Um, <laughs>
1: because you were hammered? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Maybe, maybe I can't even remember. You know, uh, your big your big dinners on um, for shooting are usually day one and wrap day. That's when it's like steak and lobster, and um, so everybody wants to work on day one. Everybody works wants to work on wrap day at the end of the season. I cannot even remember what we had that day. I couldn't even begin to tell you. It was, that was that was one of my longest days of shooting uh that may have been a 14 or 16 hour day wow because we all got there in that morning and shot everything you know we had to do all kinds of special effects stuff where you actually saw all the heads up on the hill and and then they shot the group actually coming up to the posts and all the heads and then later that night we shot all the barn stuff so all that was done in in a very long day um yeah, so I think a lot of it's a blur. I mean, I <laughs> <do
1: that. laughs> now, I, I personally would have loved to have learned more about the person DJ was. Um, now, let me ask you this hypothetical question. Uh, you died at the hands of the Whisperers, but if the opportunity presented itself to DJ, to, let's say, Alpha, Samantha Morton, try to recruit DJ, do you see the character of DJ Leaving Michonne and joining the other side?
0: Um, No, I don't. I don't. Um, I think, you know, I think we see DJ's loyalty to Michonne and the group, not just in his final scene, but kind of throughout. I mean, uh, you know, when the new group with, with Yumiko and Magna comes in and they're transporting them. From Alexandria to Hilltop, when Michonne has taken them, two people go with her. And that's Sadiq, who's the doctor, to take care of uh, Yumiko, and, and it's DJ. Yep. So I think that right there shows that there's a high level of trust between Michonne and DJ. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've said this before, there was a lot of uh, interaction between Michonne and DJ that was shot that didn't end up being seen on the show, which I really hated because I think it really built the bond of, of, uh, the trust that the two of them had together. And so, um, and that even goes to the machine, the, the episode where Michonne and Daryl are taken and they end up with the scars mm-hmm. on their neck.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. Um, DJ,
0: or no way, originally what happened, who was taken? Um,
1: you're talking about when uh, uh, Michonne... Was it Judith?
0: Judith was taken? Was yeah, Judith you're talking about out? the Jocelyn okay, yeah.
1: episode where yes, it was, yeah, yes. Jocelyn, yeah.
0: So originally, DJ was one of the people that went and uh, went with Michonne and Daryl. It was originally, I think, Michonne, Daryl, DJ, and um, I think Rosita. Mm-hmm they went looking for them and then we had a rewrite and DJ and Rosita were taken out of that search party.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: So, but I mean, even then the, the writers were showing, which in itself was kind of a flashback episode. The writers were showing a little bit of how DJ and Michonne had that tight knit mm-hmm. uh, connection. Um, and so, no, I, I think he was pretty well invested in that group in Alexandria. And I think that's where, you know, he knew he could survive, and that's where he was calling home at the time. So I, I do not think that uh he would have walked away. I would like to have think he would have gone the Negan route and tried to uh, take take Alpha's head.
1: Be the uh, hero. Gotcha.
0: Return. Yeah, yeah. No, I
1: mean, that
0: was that was kind of before we knew what the Whisper threat was. Um, but yeah, I, I would like to have think he would not have gone there for anything.
1: Uh, okay, that totally makes sense, and it's good to know. Now you. Uh, Your character, DJ, and Laura, Lindsley Register, were the biggest saviors that became really ingrained and entrusted in Alexandria. Did uh, you and Lindsley discuss, uh, you know, have private conversations about your characters, how you're going to play them, uh, officially becoming and feeling a part of the Alexandria family? Uh, did you two talk about it, discuss it at all as to how you guys are going to play off um, each other in any way?
0: Um, yeah, a little bit. I mean, uh, you know, it's, I love Lensley, by the way. She's one of my favorite people. She's great. Um, yeah, she is great. We, yeah, you know, for us as actors and a show that's as secretive as The Walking Dead, like we don't find out certain things until we get the script. And so for both of us, I remember getting the 906 script. And when I was reading it, like, you know, when the group in enter in enters in to the community and it says uh, an Alexandria head of security DJ runs with Sadiq, too. And I was like, wait, what? And I like flip back a page because we all knew it was the time jump, but I had no idea what was going to happen to my character. Flip back and read it again. And I think it actually said former savior DJ. And I was
1: like. What? Yeah, from like, former savior what? to head of security. Yeah,
0: and so, and then uh, Laura Lindsley's character was on the um, the council mm-hmm. at Alexandria. Uh, and so, yeah, we had some talk just about that and what a wild, I mean, every actor wants a character arc like that where you go from being the villain or a villain or being on the bad side as, you know, it's, you know, saviors redeem the bad guys. You know, there, there could be a difference of opinion there. But uh, to be flipped from the bad guy to the good guy side is, is a rare thing. And I think uh, not many characters on The Walking Dead have done that. And so it's pretty cool to be in a small company of going from somebody that Rick's group was fighting to going with somebody who is well entrenched and being on their side is a pretty cool thing.
1: That sounds great. Let's take a viewer question. Kong from uh, Instagram wants to know if you kept the severed head. (laughs) How many times I've been asked
0: that? No, I didn't. I didn't even think about it. Um, A couple of the people did. And I remember complain. I think when I went back for season 10, I was complaining to Nicotero. I was like, dude, I didn't even keep my head. Um, And he said... Hey, text me and I'll make you a new one and send it to you, which I haven't done. I, I, I don't know why I've just but I, I have I didn't keep it. I do want a copy of it. I should have asked Nicotera to make it during quarantine when nobody was doing anything um but yeah i hope to get it especially tomorrow night like i want to go trick-or-treating with my kids and carry oh, my severed head around that like, would be that awesome
1: <laughs> that would be awesome because right know, now all know, it is it's yeah. probably sitting in some storage room collecting dust yeah, put, put no, I, for, to put that thing to good I, use now that scene
0: got a Pretty big warehouse with all his special spe- effects stuff in it in L.A., so I'm sure it's sitting in there somewhere.
1: Oh, I can imagine what that place looks yeah. like. <laughs> I had him on, and he has a... Uh, in his living room, on the living room floor, he has a full-blown walker dummy on his living yeah. room floor. I'm like, oh, my was he, God. Now, was,
0: he, was he in Atlanta or in L.A.? When he, he was in that? Atlanta. Okay, yeah, his, his house in Atlanta is pretty... Like, if you like horror films, which I didn't grow up watching horror films, but if you like them, I mean, Nicotero's house here in Atlanta is like a museum to it. It's pretty amazing.
1: Yeah, it's funny. On that show, I had him and Tom Savini on, Uh, Oh, nice. Yeah, and they both got into, like, this, they're pulling out masks. I'm like, holy cow. (laughs) (laughs) And and this was everything within arm's reach of them while they were, you know, on the video with me. Yeah. Okay, now let's get to that scene where Negan uh, catches Simon Mm red-handed trying to betray him uh, with Dwight's Mm -hmm. help. Do you think DJ was surprised uh by Simon Steven Ogg's betrayal of Negan. You think that took uh DJ by surprise or just not
0: Um yeah, I think so because I I think um you know, I I like this. I think DJ was he was a loyalist. Um he was loyal to Negan, he was loyal to Michonne and and the group. And I think uh, that's how I would probably describe him the best. And so you know, I don't know if, if people remember when Negan disappeared for a while mm-hmm. when uh, Jadis had him and yep. he shows back up at the sanctuary. And the first person he runs into is DJ yep. and DJ is kind of surprised, but yet uh, knew he was still alive somewhere. So that in itself tells you that that DJ knew something was up when Simon told the group that Negan was gone.
1: OK. And
0: so um for him to hear that from Simon and be doubtful of it, and then for Negan to show back up, I think immediately he knew, all right, well, Simon's Simon's the guy we got to get out of here. And he, I think he aligned pretty quickly with Negan in that plan to get Simon out.
1: Totally understood, and it makes perfect sense. Now, we keep hearing that Steven Ogg is a trip to be on the set. Uh, okay. How would you describe Steven on the set?
0: Oh, dude, Steven's great, man. Um, my first probably, I guess, so season eight, I'm trying to remember. I think I did five episodes in season eight, and four of them were leading up to Steven Ogg's death, and I was with Steven Ogg for all of them. Um, so he, was, he and Jeffrey are, are two of the people I got to be with the most when I first started shooting, and Steven Ogg was great. And he's he was also my first experience – of being on the show and having a cast member die that I'd gotten to know and gotten close to. Uh, I knew it was a regular part of the show, but that was the first time that I had experienced,
1: experienced that.
0: Man. Yeah. And, and I was like, no, dude, I don't, I don't want you to go yeah. anywhere. I like you. Um, yeah. Steven's a lot of fun though, man. He's such a big brawny, strong dude. And, and, and puts off, you know, when you see him on the show, he puts off this, this badass character that you're scared and nervous to be around, and you know he's just nothing like that. He's just one of the nicest guys, and and super funny, and a big personality, and a lot of fun to be around.
1: That is awesome. Now, yep. Stephen Ogg and J D. Morgan seem, from what we see, you know, as fans and viewers, um, with them in interviews, they seem to have very similar off-screen personalities. Would you agree or disagree with that off-screen?
0: Um, No, they're pretty similar. I think, um, in my opinion, JD might be a little bit uh, wilder and funnier than Steven (laughs) is, Um, which what's always impressive to me about like that is – Yes, I. uh, As we mentioned at the beginning, I'm a big Rick Grimes fan, but I was a huge Negan fan when he came onto the show. Like I I thought, I think JD is so freaking good in
1: that role. I love him.
0: Um, And so, you know, seeing that Negan persona, and then getting on set and meeting Jeffrey is two completely different people. And what's great about that is it tells you how. it makes you realize how good of an actor he is.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, when you meet people and, and their personality and persona is the complete opposite of who they play, it really shows you how good of an actor they are. And, uh, yeah, JD JDM, is he's funny, man. He's a lot of fun. But, yeah, they're pretty similar, but JDM might be a little bit more uh, uh, rambunctious than Steven is. <laughs>
1: well, that's good to know. Now, <laughs> when you got the role of DJ, did you know off the bat how long you were going to be on the show?
0: no i had no idea and that is uh kind of i guess what the walking dead is all about Mm -hmm. um no when i got it i thought it was one scene one episode i just shot my wad on the walking dead and i'll never be back again so i had no idea what it would end up turning into which which kind of makes it a lot more fun a lot more special
1: that 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 sounds about right now if you were to rewrite dj's death what would you change?
0: Who, um, man, uh, it's hard. He he went out epically, which is I think what any actor could ask for. Um, there were so I, I I was a big fan of the show. I was never into the comics.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Once I got onto the show, I started diving into the comics a little more, especially when I knew I was gonna uh being season nine and more of the whisperer war i started kind of diving into the comics just to even though dj wasn't a comic character i just kind of wanted to see what the possibilities were um and so if if i could change it i would have i would have liked to have seen dj through the whisperer war mm-hmm. at least be a part of it. Um, I'm not gonna say I wish I could see him die in the Whisper War because I wish DJ could have, you know, made it to the end. Now that we know the show has an end, it would have yeah. been nice. To see him. Um, but if I had to pick another death, it probably would have been somewhere in the Whisper War, like maybe going out saving Michonne um, or someone else in the group that he was that he was close with. I think would have been a good way to go out, but. Uh, man, you can't get more epic than
1: the Pikes, I don't think. No, you can't get more epic. And from what we see in the flashbacks, he went out kicking and screaming, still trying to save himself and the people that he was with, his friends. Uh, yeah. Now you've you said you were notified like three weeks before that your character was uh, going to die. Did you also find out at the exact same time who was leaving with you at that same episode?
0: Um, I didn't find out from, um, Angela. I, I honestly, I don't, I don't remember how I found that out. Like, I I think, um, I've said this in other interviews. I remember Kari being a little nervous about going out because Ezekiel is one of the heads mm-hmm. in the comics. So I remember him being, having some relief when he found out. I don't remember exactly how I found out everyone, probably just when you, mm-hmm. Go back on set and are shooting, and and people just start saying, "Oh, dude, it's going to be." Uh, by the way, Tara's going out, or I don't remember how it's. I found out. Like for me, the Highwaymen was new. I didn't know that they were going to be. Uh, I mean, I think they came in the episode before the Pike episode, so mm-hmm. those those guys being thrown in were was kind of a wrinkle to us. Uh, but yeah, I think it was just kind of after getting a phone call, you show back up back up on set and. Hair and makeup trailers where all, where all the gossip happens. I mean, hair and makeup trailers where you find everything out.
1: Oh, that's awesome. So I think
0: that's probably probably somewhere in there they started listing off, but I don't remember exactly.
1: Okay. I mean, did you have any talks with like Alana or Caitlin about it You know, after they found out? Yeah, we all
0: did the day of. Because <laughs> <Like, laughs> that was such a long day of shooting and it was so unique because uh, like they were taking us one at a time out to the location to shoot the stuff on our head with the with the heads on the pikes and uh i think i posted a picture of it before like of um i think nicotero took the picture actually like you see us the actors and they put like the green a green screen scarf around our neck Uh and then right here like three feet next to us was our severed head on a pike and they were kind of shooting in between the two of them so they were taking taking us up one at a time shooting that stuff so you know and we, we were all kind of wandering to each other's trailers just having some conversation about the whole thing because like I said it was a long day and I think I remember I think I was one of the first heads they shot like first thing in the yeah. morning and I maybe had like eight or nine hours to kill before we got into the barn stuff. Um, so yeah, it was just, you know, hanging out in people's trailers and, and that was, you know, my last day. So, you know, we had like, uh, a bunch of the other guys like Yumiko that Eleanor plays and, um, Nadia who plays Magna were there and and I got really close to them. So spent a lot of time just hanging out with them on, on the last day of shooting. And, uh, yeah, so we all, we all eventually made our way around to each other and had some conversations about it.
1: Now, your time, the years that you've spent on The Walking Dead, would you say that you've made lifelong friends and it's a part of you, it's a part of a family you feel a part of right now?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um and that's to me one of my favorite things about acting and filmmaking. Uh, filmmaking, TV and film is like you people don't understand like how much time you spend with your castmates. I mean, think about somebody like Andy who lived over here in the States eight months out of the year and at home with his family four months out of the year. I mean, he was with his his castmates here eight months out of the year, five days a week, 12 to 16 hours a day. Wow! And you, you build relationships really quick. They get really tight. You know, if you're put up in a hotel, you're put up in a hotel with all these other actors, and and you go grab a drink at night after a long day of shooting, and you're with these people a lot, and so you absolutely build some lifelong friendships, and that that's one of my favorite things about the business. Like I love the acting aspect of it, but I the relationships that you build um, is pretty special.
1: That is great, uh, and it does sound special. Now Eleanor last week. Uh, mentioned about the ghost of Andrew Lincoln still being yeah. on the set after he was gone. Did you notice anyone stepping up, trying to fill his shoes as part of, you know, he used to be the big welcome wagon for any newcomers. Did anyone yeah. else uh, try to fill those shoes or was it a collective group of people that came in to step into that role?
0: Um, it's, it's both. Uh, Norman absolutely has stepped up and filled that role and um you know much like daryl who is kind of the unass- unassuming leader mm-hmm. like daryl will very easily defer leadership to rick Yeah, and i think that's norman i think norman would very easily defer it to andy but when when the need is there for someone to step up like Daryl Norman does that. And Norman has absolutely stepped up and taken that spot at the same time. It's also collective. I mean, you guys, you have guys like Jeffrey uh, deny when she was uh, still there, absolutely Mm -hmm. stepped in and filled those roles. Uh, Lauren Cohen. Now that she's back, I know that she will step in and fill those roles because that's who she was before she left. Mm hmm. So it's it's a little bit of both, but I think Norman was the person for it to easily fall to, yeah. and he didn't have to take it, but he did, and he and he stepped up and has helped carry that. There were a lot of days where where I would go to shoot and Norman wasn't on the schedule, but you you get there and you see his car there and or his truck there or his motorcycle there, and and so he he did a lot of showing up on days he wasn't even scheduled to be there, which is kind of what Andy did, yeah, and I think. Part of that was just to just support the cast and and to see everyone and
1: that's awesome. You know he's
0: away he's away from his family too for for yeah. eight months. So yeah. this is your family, so you want to come hang out with everybody and
1: that's all. Yeah, that...
0: Norman Norm definitely stepped up.
1: That's awesome. That shows a lot of dedication. Now you and uh, deny Michonne had a mm-hmm. lot of great scenes together. Uh, mm-hmm. What was your work relationship with deny off uh, off uh, camera were you guys did you guys become good friends How uh, how would you describe that relationship
0: um yeah we definitely got close and I, what what i really liked about it is i think i briefly met deny season eight when i was when dj was a savior i mm-hmm. briefly met her we didn't cross paths a lot because um you know even when you don't have scenes with people you'll you'll go, you'll cross each other in the hair and makeup trailer or at lunch. And actually I, when I met Denai was, um, the, the season finale of season eight, which was all out war mm-hmm. because you had everybody there. You had all the saviors there. You had all the race. So that was the first time I, I met deny And, um, the first couple episodes of season nine, we didn't really cross paths with each other. So, when we really met was for 906 which was right after the time jump Mm -hmm. and so from there on i think i had four or five straight episodes with tonight and so when you have when you are filming with people you have a lot of time with those people i mean you're together that entire day you usually eat lunch together and so we went much like our characters, we went from not having any kind of a relationship or knowing each other to just being with each other all the time. Um, and so yeah, I, I'm very fortunate to have gotten to know Denai. I love Denai. She is, um, man, she is such a powerhouse mm-hmm. in every aspect of this business. Um, and I described Denai to people like she's got this she's got this thick outer shell And I think you kind of have to have it to Mm -hmm. protect yourself in this industry. And I I like to feel like I I cracked through that shell and, and got to know her and got some good uh, personal time and personal conversation with her and uh, love her, man. She's going to do huge stuff after, after the walking dead.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. Now be, this is an interesting question. I, I think so at least since, uh, You've been a fan of the show since the very beginning, mm-hmm. 2010. Which past character that was no longer on the show when you came on, character, actor, would you have just loved to share a scene with? But because they Ooh. have left or died, you did not yeah. get a chance to. That's a hard I one. Think
0: someone. I, no, I think someone has asked me this before, and I think my answer was Abraham.
1: Oh, Michael Cudlitz. Um,
0: Part of it is because I think outside of Negan, I think Abraham had some of the best dialogue of the show.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Um,
0: I mean, all the way down to suck my nuts, Sucked which my I think nuts. was his yeah. final, was that, that was his final line to Negan, wasn't it? It was, and it was
1: ad-libbed.
0: Yes, it was. And so I think he had some of the best dialogue outside of Negan, and he was just such a badass in that role. Um, and I like to think DJ was a badass. And so I would have loved to have seen the two of them together. Well, what's cool about that is I got, I did two episodes with Cutlets and he ended up with him directing mm-hmm. and he, he's such a freaking amazing director and ended up being one of, one of my favorite people that I got to meet in my entirety of being on the show. Um, so I, even I think before working with him, from an actor director standpoint, I think Abraham might have been my uh, might have been my answer. Maybe Shane, just because he was such a loose cannon at the mm-hmm. end, but, um, but yeah, probably Abraham.
1: Yeah, both those are very popular answers. So after two years on The Walking Dead, what was your biggest as an actor? What did you walk away with? What's your biggest takeaway from being on the set of The Walking Dead?
0: Um. Honestly, my biggest takeaway was uh, seeing Andrew Lincoln as the lead on that show. I mean, from from every aspect of it, from his leadership off the set, from the way that everybody looked to him as the leader when you weren't filming, to the way he prepared for his scenes, um, to the way he executed his scenes, to uh, every aspect of his leadership as rick grimes carried over to the show to the cast to the crew and and being being able to see that and hope that you know no matter what level i am on the call sheet whether i'm number one or whether i'm 201 to be able to emulate what he did i think was such a huge lesson for me and being able to see somebody walk that out
1: that is awesome now we're almost out of time. One last question: If sure. DJ was still around, would you have liked to seen a love interest for DJ?
0: Yes. Um, Do you
1: have anyone so, in mind? Well,
0: <laughs> what I the what I liked um, going off of the comics was um, the relationship between Dante and Maggie. Mm, Uh, which was, for people that don't know, Dante was kind of in love with Maggie, Mm -hmm. but she, because of Glenn, could not ever reciprocate that love. And there was a part of me that kind of almost wanted to see that with DJ and Michonne, because I think he had such a respect for her. I kind of wanted his respect to kind of bleed into that. Uh, but for Michelle to to make it clear that no i, I still have this this rent guy that i'm looking for and it's not going to happen i think that could have really expanded the trust that was between the two of them um
1: that the been other amazing. easy
0: the other easy answer would have been either arat or laura like one of the the former saviors that that DJ had been around for years and and knew for years. And I think uh, just because he was around when Arat died, I think maybe something in that would have been kind of interesting. Um, I could
1: because, see that because you know that. there
0: were a couple times where Arat stepped in to mm-hmm. try and try and and let DJ cool off a little bit. So, I could
1: see that. Yeah, I could totally see any, that. Any
0: any of those, I would have been open to. I think would have been really cool.
1: Uh, the Arat thing is really interesting, uh, mm-hmm. Matt. Thank you so much for being here with us tonight. I can't believe it is. Thanks, man. I can't believe that hour just flew by. The way it did. It did, (laughs) guys. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight, Matt. You've been amazing. Any final thoughts?
0: No, I appreciate everybody. Uh, I appreciate fans of the show, man. Are you kidding me? The fans are what make this show Mm -hmm. run and what make it go for so long. And I appreciate guys like you just. Deciding you. you want to do something like this and, and get us cast members to come out and just chat about it. I love it. And I really appreciate you thinking about me and even asking it's me to be honor. on. It's my
1: honor. It's my honor. Thank yeah. you so much, Thank guys. You. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in. I'll be back on the air again tomorrow. And on behalf of Matt and myself, stay safe, guys. And remember, stay walking. Good night. Yep. <laughs>